This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome to it once again. Good afternoon or good morning, depending on um, whether you're listening live. I suppose it could be good evening as well. Welcome to the program once again. Uh, Thomas Hickey stops by here in a couple of moments. Tour around the NHL. Tour around Deadline with Thomas Hickey. Someone who's lived it, folks. <laughs> Someone who's been in the room and been on the ice when players get called off during the morning skates. I remember Colby Armstrong used to tell me, we'll get into this with Hickey coming up in a couple of moments. Armstrong used to tell me that uh, every now and then in Toronto, what they would do, just a goof on the media, was uh, they would arrange it so certain players would skate off the ice at certain times and get the tongues wagging. Oh, so-and-so just got pulled off the ice. Oh, so-and-so just left. What does that mean? Is there a trade coming? Yes, we get hysterical around trade deadline time. Forgive us. Uh, we'll talk to Hickey about that and uh, everything Islanders as well. We'll get into some of the issues there. Uh, Allison Lucan will stop by at the bottom of the hour. We'll get into the Seattle Kraken conversation. Seattle's an interesting team. I mean, they're right there. Now, complicating everything in the West is the fact that the Nashville Predators can't stop winning and are refusing to lose. Case in point last night where they refused a single shot on nets. In the third period, Nashville's doing a job here. Four to one over the Ottawa Senators. Did I ma- did I mention zero shots on net in the third period for the Ottawa Senators? Preds on a, a six-game winning streak here, making it difficult for teams like oh I don't know the Calgary Flames who are on their four-game heater themselves right now, and teams like Minnesota and St. Louis who will see an action tonight against the uh, Edmonton Oilers, um, and as well. You know, the aforementioned Seattle Kraken. Tough to make up ground in the West right now on those wildcard teams. Although, L.A. has entered the chat there. Namely, falling. And falling again last night. The Los Angeles Kings, they lose 4-2. to I don't think they've scored a third-period goal in four games now. And going into third periods when the game is tied, four wins in 13 opportunities. Sources say that is not good. We'll get into a lot of the uh, Western Conference wildcard conversation with Allison coming up at the bottom of the hour. It's Wednesdays. That means Greg Wyshynski from ESPN will uh, redo the MVSW love that uh, some, hopefully many of you, used to remember or still remember very uh, very well. Uh, George Richards will talk to us about the Florida Panthers. And on a day like this, it's impossible to talk about the Florida Panthers and not talk about Nick Cousins. And I'm not sure how much of the uh, Florida-Buffalo game you watched last night, which was a really close game. The Florida Panthers just shading the swords in that one. But the highlight moment, Jordan Greenway with the punch. Did he even connect on Nick Cousins? Cousins went down fast and stayed down until the coast was clear. And then it was the Undertaker meme. (laughs) Popped right back up and jumped into the scrum. (laughs) Cousins gets under people's skin, man, starting with players. They love him in Florida, though. Teammates love him. Fans love him. We'll get into that with George Richards. Uh, a couple of things from last night. Uh, tough one for the Vancouver Canucks. Great one for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Great one for Sidney Crosby. Uh, Sidney Crosby now has 1,000 even strength points, folks. Uh, another milestone. It seems, you know, every few games Crosby's hitting one of these. That's just where he's at in his career, and that will continue until he uh, retires the axe, I suppose. Uh, 1,000 even strength points for the uh, for the uh, captain of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Penguins 4, Vancouver 3. Crosby 2 assists in this one, and about the only player who was 
doing anything other than just playing average hockey for the Vancouver Canucks was JT Miller. As Rick Tockett himself mentioned in his post game, uh, JT Miller continues to bring it for the Vancouver Canucks. Remember yesterday how I was going on and on and on yesterday about how the game of the night is going to be Colorado and Dallas and take it to the bank, long-term deposit, result guaranteed, blah, 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 blah. Well, it was if you're an Avalanche fan. You know, after Logan Stankoven made it one nothing Dallas, what's the kid played? Three games and he's already got two goals? Second round draft pick. He's too small to play in the NHL. Two goals so far for Logan Stankoven, uh, playing on a really good line as well. Uh, so he looks good for the uh, Dallas Stars. Dallas Stars off the one nothing lead, and then it was all avalanche after that. 5-1 uh, is the final score. Uh, Alexander Georgiev, excellent with 33 saves in that one. Welcome back, Yanni Hockenpah, to the Dallas Stars lineup. Uh, but the result remains the same. The Stars now in their last five are 1-3-1. One, and one. So you would imagine that a lot of the trade rumors and a lot of the trade noise around the NHL now is going to focus around the Dallas Stars. We know they're looking for a defenseman. Could they be looking for two? Who are the primary candidates? That will become more clear as we approach March the 11th. Also, um, don't forget about last night and the Winnipeg Jets and the 4-2 victory over the St. Louis Blues at Canada Life Centre. And Sean Monahan on that line with Ehlers and Alex Iafalo looks excellent. That is a very nice second line. One plus one for Monahan. He has fits like a glove with the, uh, with the Winnipeg Jets. Jets have now won four in a row. And don't look now. Once again, tops in the central. If you really want to split hairs or find something in there that you don't like, Cole Perfetti, 10 minutes, 30 seconds, ice time. I wonder when teams start calling and saying, what are you doing with the Perfetti kid? Because if you don't have room or ice time for them, we do over here. Highlighting that one, by the way, Lowry and Shen throw down. Always good to see the captains' fights, right? Makes us all think back about Aginla, you know, and, and uh, Le Cavalier once upon a time. And when the stars fight, it's always interesting and always fun, I suppose. All right, uh, let's get to our man Thomas Hickey uh, on some of the things from last night and what it's like to be a player around trade deadline, Islanders analyst on MSG, NHL Network analyst, and, of course, former NHL defenseman. Thomas, how are you today? I'm doing good, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, okay, so a couple of things here. So there's only two games on the board tonight, and I want to ask you about one of them, and I want to ask you about one player in specific. So we're going to see the Blues and the Oilers later on tonight. We're also going to see the Columbus Blue Jackets and the New York Rangers. Uh, MSG is the venue, and everywhere you go, people are talking about Matt Rempe. Uh, I was at my kids' practice last night. Uh, in uh, in Pickering, and all the parents of the team coming on after us were all talking about Matt Rempe. In seven days, this guy has made a name for himself. Uh, tough fight for him Sunday against Matthew Olivier of the Columbus Blue Jackets. We're all wondering if there's going to be a round two. Yes, he's, uh, he's only played in the NHL full-time for a week, and already we have a potential for a round two encounter. Uh, your thoughts on, on the Matt Rempe situation here? I know you're an old Seattle Thunderbird. He was an old Seattle Thunderbird as well. What do you think of the kid? You know, I, I, I love him. I think he's garnered so much respect already. And not only was he a Seattle Thunderbird, he's a Calgary kid. I'm a Calgary guy. He trains at the gym that I used to train at. I know my <laughs> trainer, um, Doug Crashley, he loves him. Um, but I, you know what? Look, I, I, I talked about this uh, a couple days ago as well. I, I think a big part of this is, you don't get the heavyweight matchup scheduled every single game you play in. And I think it's been a weird 
yeah. uh, sort of sequence of games that they played where you got Matt Martin, and then you got Delorey, and then you got Olivier, and then you get him again, and then a big emotional game against New Jersey Devils. So it's not like this would set up maybe over two months you, you'd face one of those guys um, one yeah. time over that span. But he's had to do it every time. The one thing I will say, and, and Jeff, as you know, I'm not a tough guy. I don't know how to fight. I would get beat up. I only fought a couple of times, um, but I've seen a lot of fights. And to me, it looks like a kid that uh, went into his fight with Matt Martin for uh, a great deal of respect for Martin and for himself. And I think this rush of adrenaline and the storylines and the intensity of those games that he's been playing in and the storyline being around him, Mm -hmm. he's almost got a little more reckless with each fight. And I think that that's natural. And I can't pretend to... Uh, to tell him what to do better, but you looking online, you, you hear guys that, that fought in the league that say, hey, he's got to protect himself just a little bit better, or perhaps it's someone within the organization saying, look, kid, you've proved that you're tough, and I think the whole hockey world understands that now. Let's make sure you can do this for a long time, not do it every night for a year or two, because yeah. that's how injuries happen. And I don't want to see the kid get hurt. He's clearly tough. He can clearly handle himself, but uh, the other thing to keep in mind, how much more experience do those guys have fighting professionally than Matt Rempe? We're talking decades between them, right? So that's another part of it as well. But I'm happy to see what he's done. He's proved to us that he's tough, uh, and I'd like to see him stick around for quite a long time. And look, he's a Rangers player. That sort of goes against everything I said, but I'm pulling for him. I I think it's a great story. (laughs) You know, I, I can't help but thinking, you know, th- this week one name jumped out at me because I'm trying to think, okay, when's the last time we saw something like this? And we're thinking of, like, you know, the Ty Domies and the Troy Crowders, you know, who come on and just want to take on every single slugger in, in the NHL. Like, this used to be the way that it went. Uh, you know, you sort of announced that you're here. I mean, Probert went and, and did this. You know, he did the gauntlet, Craig Cox, all of them uh, did it. But the one thing, and I th- I'm glad you brought up that point about, you know, NHLers and guys that have fought way more than Matt Rempe has, and it's really, really dangerous, and you probably shouldn't be doing this every single night. You know whose name came to me a couple of days ago, and I'm glad that we have you on today. I'm glad we're having this conversation because you know this person. uh, He was one of your coaches with Seattle, and that's Jim McTaggart. Now, Jim McTaggart, as you all know, and I'm sure you've seen the videos and heard all the stories, when he played in the Western League, he played with the Blades, and he played with Billings as well. He was one of the heavyweights. You did not tangle with Jim McTaggart at all. He was legit tough. But the NHL is a different beast. And I remember he got to the NHL, and it was a game between the Washington Capitals, uh, where McTaggart was playing, and the New York Islanders, and he paired off with Bob Nystrom, who pound for pound may have been the toughest fighter the NHL has ever seen. You can quibble yeah. about about that one. You know, throw George McPhee into that conversation as well for pound for pounders. But Nystrom was a scary, scary, scary tough, and gave McTaggart everything to remind him that it's one thing to fight in the minors. It's one thing to fight in junior, and it's another thing to fight in the NHL. Did Jim McTaggart ever tell you stories of playing in the league, and did that one ever come up? I kick myself often that I didn't know how tough Jim McTaggart was until 
I was at the end of my oh. time in Seattle. That, that's the one thing that I wish that I knew. And really? He was our defensive coach. Like We, we would meet with him yep. all the time, in between periods. Defensemen pull a chair into the room, we're talking, and it was all about defending. And I think he understood, obviously, the game had changed. And we're talking uh, 15, 16 years ago from the time that he had played, and it's changed even more now. But, yep. I mean, that's a guy that I wish I would have picked his brain more about the tough stuff. And you know who else stands out to me, Jeff? It's Milan Lucic. Go look at his fight card from his first year in the NHL. And, and I think the Enders... Yeah. You're tough. You fought okay, everybody. You fought every single tough guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and then all of a sudden, uh, I think year two, then, then Luch picked his spots just a little bit better. And I think the, the most recent one that comes to mind. Okay, Thomas, we're going to try to get you back on a, on a better connection, having a problem with your line. We're going to reconnect here with uh, with Thomas Hickey, uh, Islanders analyst on MSG, also former NHLer uh, as well, um, just having the Matt Rempe conversation. You know, there's, I think, a part of all of us that is fascinated with this Matt Rempe phenomenon. And yes, you know, the potential for a showdown is there again tonight. But I really think the sane thing here is for the Rangers to cement the gloves on uh, Matt Rempe. Oh, we'll get into this a little bit more with Greg Wyshynski coming up in hour two. Uh, uh, from ESPN, but uh, Matt Rempe is, has caught, in, you know, caught everybody's attention. Everybody knows the name. Everybody's having the conversations. There are two big games on the horizon for him. There's tonight against Columbus, and then there's Saturday Hockey Night in Canada against the Toronto Maple Leafs, where the stage is set. You know, millions of viewers, and there's Ryan Reeves, and I'm sure the temptation is going to be there. Uh, but if you've seen what Matt Rempe looks like after the uh, encounter with Matthew Olivier Sunday in the game against Columbus, you probably think to yourself, you know what? You don't have to do this every single night. Okay, Thomas, we've got you back. Um, okay, so off the Matt Rempe page here, uh, because, listen, Rempe, and for good reason, has has you know sucked up a lot of the oxygen around the hockey conversation uh, this week, and for good reason. Um, trade deadline on the horizon. And one of the things that... I mentioned off the top is, you know, Colby Armstrong, when he played for the Maple Leafs, you know, later he became a broadcaster, works with us here at Sportsnet. He would tell me, you know, we would mess around with the media, you know, wherever we went, like every now and then, um, we'd have our morning skate on trade deadline and, you know, we'd have guys, you know, strategically leave the ice at certain times because then the media starts buzzing. Oh, so-and-so has been called off the ice and the tweets start flying furiously and they come back five minutes later uh, and there's there's no story. Um, any good trade deadline morning skate stories come to mind for you? Yeah, I remember uh, we were in Edmonton at the time, so obviously the attention was there compared to, Maybe being Long Island at the yeah. time it was, I think, my second year. And the big thing that uh, that I realized at that time, like Thomas Vanek, he he was on the trade block. He knew he was going to get dealt. We yeah. traded for him earlier in the year, and then it turned into a situation where all all of a sudden the clocks winded out. It's three o'clock. We haven't heard anything. We're like, can can you believe we haven't traded Vanny? Like he's got his bags packed. He's ready to go. I that's when I learned <laughs> that GMs talk to one another and they go, here's the deal. Um, and I'm not saying specifically this instance, but I know it's come up many times. Here's the deal. We're doing it, mm-hmm. and we're just going to wait. We're going to file the paper at the last minute, and we're going to see if anyone inside either of our organizations gets it out to someone else. And we know that we've got a leak, and I've heard of that happening often. So that, that to me, was funny because it was a cat-and-mouse game where the deal was done, <laughs> perhaps. And, and they're just waiting to see. Maybe it's on the other side or on this side, but who is going to leak that story? And, and, and that's sort of when I realized that uh, – 
it, you see it now. So many people, the communication, it's, it's tight. Not much gets out there, but I think for a good reason. You know, I know, um, I know one team which shall remain nameless, and this manager is no longer there. But what the man- this manager in particular would do um, is on trade deadline day, you know, all the scouts would be in like the, the one boardroom or the war room for, for the team. And what this manager would do is he'd insist on having everybody who was in the boardroom put their cell phones on the table so everybody could see who was calling them. <laughs> and we could see who they were in communication with as well. Now, I think a lot of people around the league, this is a little bit of inside baseball here, folks. The way that, it, the way that a lot of sane people work is for a lot of their contacts, they'll use a different name. It'll be something like if they pick your pick your insider, uh, they'll list it as a as a different name. So if you're around someone and that person calls, it doesn't come up as again. Insert your favorite insider here. But I know that there's one manager again, not currently working, who would have all the scouts and other other personnel have all the cell phones on the table so he could have a look at who was calling. And I know what a lot of people are thinking, it's not Lou Lamarillo. That's not that's not the person I'm talking about. He is of course still employed by the by the Islanders. So I'm guessing that wouldn't surprise you either. No. If you were uh if you were to put your phone on the table and get a call from Brett Skerrick, you're probably still gonna get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the point. Yeah, don't make it rhyme. Fedge Karen. Yeah, you yeah. just sort of mixed up the first and the last one on that one. I think everybody knows what you're you're still going for there. Um, okay, so you know when when you when you look around the um, when you look around the landscape, like I think a lot of us are wondering, you know, what's happening with uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins and Jake Ensel, certainly a big name, and uh, the Calgary Flames with with Hannafin and Tanev, two big defensemen. It almost seems, you know, that seems to be like a log jam right now. And until those get dealt with. You know, I don't think we're going to get any more clarity on the Walkers and the Sealers, et cetera, et cetera, all the defensemen around there. Um, are there any players, any teams specifically that have piqued your curiosity more than anyone else? Yeah, there are. And look, I, I want to preface this by saying I, I'm, I, I don't go digging and looking for intel. I read, and this is more of an anal- uh, analysis perspective than this is yeah. what I'm hearing because that's not really my game. But when I look at it, the West is so tight, right? You've got seven teams in my mind that if LA continues to figure it out, seven teams that could potentially win a Stanley Cup with a couple of pieces in the yep. East, it's different. And the one team that we haven't heard really anything about, they've flown under the radar the entire season, it's the Carolina Hurricanes. And to me, when is it their mm-hmm. year? When is it their time to win? And to me, it's right now. And it has been the last couple of years. Goaltending's obviously been a topic of conversation, but when you look at that Carolina hockey team, just logically, uh, when I think about it, this is a team with 10 guys on expiring contracts after this season. And this is what we've heard of from an ownership perspective. They don't want to do a rental. Well, if someone has term, are you going to trade for someone and get a deal in place? You've got so much money coming off the books that you could make it work. And not to mention, you've got first-round picks. You've got second-round picks. You've got some cost-controlled player. If there was ever a time, I I think Carolina would be one of the great teams to to make a big splash, whether it's in net or whether you go out and surprise Mm -hmm. people and and maybe add that one piece up front that they've been missing. And I'm just throwing names out that – uh, that I shouldn't, but you know, how about a Bushnevich fit there? You know, this is this guy's an all-around hockey player. Another year left yep. on his deal, and then you can make it work. I, I just think it's been too quiet around them. They're too good of a team, 
and we've all not really been talking about them because they've been in second place for three months now, and they're just quietly doing their thing. Yeah. You know, that, that's a really interesting name, too, because um, there's a couple of teams that don't get a lot of headlines, but they're always involved, as you find out, you know, after a deal is done, that they were in on it, you know, and, and one is the Carolina Hurricanes, the other is the Colorado Avalanche. You know, like, you know, quietly, you know, before Panarin went to the New York Rangers, you know, there was a big deal offered there. I think it was a three-year deal. I think it was like a $12 million or something like that from the Colorado Avalanche. Carolina's always around it as well. As we discover afterwards, they're very much in uh, and curious about Jack Eichel. So it's not as if, you know, Carolina... Carolina isn't involved in all of these discussions and trying to, to make them work. I think the big thing with Carolina is it's very much established that, A, the owner likes stars, we know that, but, B, he also has a price for everything. There's a price for coaches, and he's not going above it. There's a price for this player, and he's not going above it. There's a price for this trade, and he's not going above it. That seems to be the M.O. of the Carolina Hurricanes and the M.O. of their owner, Tom Dundon. And I think... You know, that's why, you know, it's very rare that we look at the Carolina Hurricanes, although, you know, here come the Asperi Kotkaniemi um, uh, truthers. They tend not to overpay for people. They, they tend yeah, not no, to overpay I, because the owner has a real real idea of what, of what what the value of everything around him is. Yeah, and there's also a price for a Stanley Cup too, right? And we know that, that Tom Dundon is a passionate owner and, and clearly, you know, he, he's got his ground rules established, but... Um, you know, I, I think it must be exciting looking at your team and every single year for the past handful of years, you go, this could be the year we could win it. And each year the story is maybe just one piece away. So that could all be part of the equation. Yeah. And who says you can't, you can't value someone more than the rest of the league and get that person locked up. So I, I agree with you, Jeff. I think there's a reason why people put the brakes when it comes to Carolina, because they're not going to do anything that is irresponsible, but, uh, you know, it, it's just a team I continue to look at. It, it's been too quiet around them. They're too good of a hockey team. Interesting. You know, um, philosophical question for you here, Thomas. You know, I, I look at trade deadline and look at how much runway that leaves for a new player and a new team and how how seldom, you know, big trade deadline deals really move the needle for a squad. Sometimes it's quite the opposite, that it sets them back a little bit. There's exceptions. Ivan Barbashev, most recently with the Vegas Golden Knights, Matthias Ekholm uh, as well, was delightful for the Oilers last year. Those are those the two that really stand out from trade deadline last year. Um, do you think that... Given that, you know, once you hit trade deadline with its, you know, CBA off days and lack of practice uh, down the stretch, how teams are all beaten up and, and rest is more important than practice as you get towards the end of the schedule. Do you think that there's even enough time for players to get properly acclimated to their new teams if they're moved on deadline? Uh, I, I think in a perfect world, you'd say that there's not enough time, right? But everyone's on that uh, it, it, part of the same rules right where you've only got a certain amount of time the deadlines on the same day maybe that's why these trades that you see yeah. a little bit earlier you know even bull horvat last year he, he's looked so much better yep. this year and he was good last year because time is everything maybe it's going to be part of and i'm sure it's already happening but part of the future where how do you track someone up to speed without overloading them with video and not being able to practice maybe that's just as important as the trade itself 
Don't disagree. Um, listen, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for uh, for stopping. Oh, let me just get a, a quick thought on the Islanders. You know, we look at one of the like. I think that let me just grab this here. I've been trying to make this point for for a while, and I guess I can kind of make a similar point about the Boston Bruins, although they're higher in the standings. I look at the Islanders' record, and to me, it just looks flat out freaky. Twenty four, twenty, and fourteen. How often do you look at that and say, "How is this possible?" It's it, they played the most overtime games in the NHL. They're, they might set a record this year if they continue on the pace that they have. And you can look at it in the sense that, um, oh, you know, they, they take games to overtime. The record has not been good in overtime. And a big win against Dallas in overtime. But all of a sudden, yeah. you just win four or five of those. Your season's so much different. They've struggled in the extra frame, uh, which sort of surprises mm-hmm. me. But, look, they're a team you still don't know what you're getting from night to night, like any team in the NHL, their best can beat absolutely anybody. How often can you play your best? And I think it's been a work in progress with Patrick Waugh, um, but they're still only 500 under him. So that's that's the thing where they're running out of runway is similar to bringing in a, a big trade deadline asset. How soon can you get up that player up mm-hmm. to speed? Well, how soon can Patrick Waugh get this group up to speed? The metrics are improving, um, but the results got to follow. But uh, I don't think anyone wants to play them in the playoffs but they got a long ways to go if they're going to get there let, let, let me finish with a thought on Patrick Watt. It was uh, it really warmed my heart to see a goalie pull with six minutes left uh, in a game the other night. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, Patrick Watt is back. We got we got a really early goalie pull here. Uh, what's he been like to to be around? What's he been like to watch? What's the the Patrick Watt experience like now? I, you know, that's funny, Jeff. I, it was it was out of a commercial. It was a power play. It, it was four. It's going to be four and four. And I looked at Brendan Burke and Butch Boring, yeah. and I said. I think it's coming. Like we could see it right now, and he did it. And uh, <laughs> and you, I, I know that you would say the same thing. It's it's the thought, really, not the result. And it made a ton of sense. You get a power play. Yeah. Um, you're down three goals. Of it makes total sense. Look, he's been intense. And that's what all the players have said. Haven't get a chance to speak with him. Uh, I'll ask questions. Just trying to understand where his mind's at, so we can uh, you know commentate commentate in a in a proper way. It's just intensity. I ask him about a goal. What happened here? He'll tell me five things, and he'll tell me with intensity and tell me what he wants, uh, you know, obviously without giving away anything. It's just been an intensity that I think this group really needed, and I think it's refreshing for the fan base as well to have someone that is Mm -hmm. so motivated to win, and it's not just that you can hear it. You can see it on his face when he watches a game, and I think a lot of kinks to work out, but the intensity has really stood out that you better be prepared when you go to, to talk to him face-to-face, whether you're a reporter or a, or a yeah. player, a former player, it doesn't matter. He, um, uh, and on this one, who's, um, who's the one player, or maybe there are a couple of players, uh, who do you think has been most impacted on the ice with uh, Patrick Waugh behind the bench? Matt Barzell, without a question. And he was having an all-star year uh, before Patrick Waugh got here. He's been... Yeah. He's been on another level. He just is so driven uh, right now. It looks like he's trying to will the puck into the net. Between him and Horvat, um, both of their levels have picked up. Barzell passed the all-star level performance. He, he's on a different level, and I think he's got a coach that says, you know what, we'll play you 23, 24 minutes a game. It doesn't matter. We want to win. That's the responsibility that Matt Barzell right. has. And Do yourself a favor. Watch his entire shift before they scored an overtime two nights ago against Dallas, and you'll oh, see yeah. what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. 
You just love it talking about little Thunderbirds, don't you? Just love the old Seattle. Oh, you just love all the old <laughs> no, Seattle guys. I'm you so got Jim bomb, Jagger, so biased. Taggart, <laughs> Rempy, and Hickey. Here we go. I got to talk to you about Matt Barzell. I Brandon see right through you. I see right blah, through blah, you. Blah. Brandon. Yeah. Now, okay, let me let me ask you about Dylan. How how tough was it? We were talking at the start of the show by talking about like Ben Olson was tough when when you played there as oh. well. Where where was Brendan Dylan on the on the toughness factor? Uh, this is sort of a full circle thing. He was learning how to fight, and this is a kid that grew. I don't think a lot of people know this. He had one of those sort of growth spurt years where he didn't play in junior hockey at sixteen, not in, not in Seattle. It took him a little bit of time. That all yeah. of a sudden. He had this big growth spurt, and then he grew into his body. But, man, that guy is tough. He's not afraid of anyone. And he's sort oh, of yeah. found that perfect niche oh, yeah. of, like, you know what? I will fight everyone. I'm not going to do it 15, 20 times a year. But when it's time to go, uh, yeah. no one wants to be fighting Brendan Dillon. That is the truth. And he looks great on that Winnipeg blue line. Okay, we're up against he the does. clock. Uh, Thomas, thanks, as always, for stopping by. Uh, enjoy it. And we'll, uh, we'll talk in and around trade deadline and certainly after. Thanks, pal. Take care, Jeff. Thanks. There he is, uh, Thomas Hickey, analyst for the New York Islanders on MSG, on the NHL Network as well, um, and former NHL defenseman. And before we get to the break here, Allison Lucan coming up, uh, Kraken analyst for Root Sports Northwest. Uh, they have a big game coming up against the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins after beating the Boston Bruins the other night to make Ron Francis's life, do we say, easier or more complicated? What are you going to do, Ron? Where's your team? Deadline's coming up. Does that Bruins win make it easier or tougher for you to make a decision now, Ron? You enter you out. We'll get to that with Allison in a couple of moments. I uh, want to make you. Uh, want to mention to you as well before we move on. Uh, last night, PWHL action: Toronto over Minnesota. Toronto has been red hot of late and three points out of first place right now. Minnesota ahead of the Montreal uh, class of the pack. Sarah Nurse with a pair, including an interesting one in overtime. We'll just say that. Sophie Jakes uh, had a real good game, her first and her second uh, for Minnesota. Kristen Campbell, excellent. Again, Taylor Heisey still on LTIR for Minnesota, so they miss her very much tonight. It is a battle of fifth and sixth as New York faces off against Ottawa. Alex Carpenter from PWHL New York continues to lead the league in points with 15. On that, we'll take a break. Allison Lucan coming up in a couple of moments. How will the Kraken approach the trade deadline? Over to you, Ron Francis. And Greg Wyshynski kicks off Hour 2. That's coming up in about 30 minutes. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Should also mention as we... um, Last joined you a couple of moments ago talking about uh, PWHL from last night. Toronto over Minnesota tonight, New York and Ottawa. Jana Hefford and Stan Kasten have a, uh, a presser today, 2 o'clock Eastern. Mid-season presser. We'll see what comes out of that one. But uh, will it be interesting to hear from Jana, the Hall of Famer, and Stan Kasten as well. Uh, if there's any announcements or big news items on the agenda, they just announced the uh, the draft format yesterday. So uh, we'll see where that one ends up. In the meantime, you know, just talking to Thomas Hickey uh, about his previous days playing with Seattle and the Thunderbirds, and that's before 
there was the NHL team, and now the NHL team is very much there. Thank you very much. And last year, not only did they make the playoffs, but they knocked around the defending Stanley Cup champions and eliminated them. So what do you do for an encore? Over to you, Ron Francis. Well, now Seattle finds themselves in a dogfight for a wild card spot as everybody, whether you're in Minnesota, whether you're St. Louis, whether you're Calgary or the aforementioned Seattle, chasing the red-hot Nashville Predators. Allison Lucan knows that very much. Thank you very much. And she joins me now. Of course, Allison is an analyst for Root Sports Northwest and the co-host of the Too Many Men podcast. Allison, how are you today? I'm better now that I'm talking to you, Jeff. How are you? Oh, you read that exactly as I wrote it. God bless you. Well done, Allison. Thank you very much. I appreciate that one. The check is in the mail. Um, real quick, I just mentioned a couple of PWHL notes. Um, you know, I've I've wondered before we get to the Kraken here. I've wondered at what point that league looks to expand west. And listen, a lot of this is all headquartered out of Los Angeles, so I'd imagine there would be a team there eventually. And I do wonder about Seattle sooner or later. I know there's some neutral sites coming up in Detroit uh, and Pittsburgh as well, but I. I do wonder about Seattle uh, for the PWHL. It's always been a market that has reacted well and fans have come out for women's hockey. How much buzz do you hear? How much news gets uh, passed underneath your nose, if any? Yeah, I, I haven't heard anything official, but I agree. The passion is definitely here. You'll remember that last year it was in Seattle that a new attendance record was set during the rivalry series when USA and Canada yep. faced off. And there's been a grassroots efforts here for some time to bring pro women's hockey to Seattle. So the appetite is really there. I think for me, I would love to see it, of course, first and foremost, but I'd like to see a pair or a couple more than a pair teams come West to start. I think the travel demands mm -hmm. of you just have one team or maybe even just two, it's really not going to be fair yeah. in terms of starting up the league and expanding out West. You need to have some balance and not run these athletes ragged if they're constantly traveling back east for every game. It's an excellent point. Um, but to your point, the uh, the appetite is clearly there. I mean, the appetite is there for capital H hockey, both on the men's side, the women's side as well. Um, how complicated is Ron Francis's life right now? You know, we looked at this, you know, this little sort of four-game segment here, you know, the win against uh, Vancouver, the loss against Minnesota, the win against the Boston Bruins, a game coming up against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Everything is about clear as mud. The only thing we do know is that there's all these teams chasing the red-hot Nashville Predators. Can you set the scene for where Seattle, the Kraken, are at right now? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the primary example of a team that is going to tell their general manager how active or not he should be at the deadline in terms of keeping this group together. They played excellent against two of the top teams in the league and then really kind of faltered yep. there versus Minnesota and, you know, a big, big, big divisional matchup against Edmonton on the weekend as well. So I think that this group has four games to say, keep us together, let us fight for it. You know, obviously everyone can look at the standings. Nashville is a question mark to me, a little bit Calgary for sure, because you have to imagine mm -hmm. they're going to move those free agents. They can't do, go through this again where they take them unsigned past the deadline. So I think there's some room to be made up, but it's going to be all in what this group says with their play over the next four games.
You know, that that's interesting, the idea of unsigned past the deadline, too, because I think we wonder about that with Seattle and uh, and and a, and a number of players as well, players that are on uh, expiring contracts, whether it's Venberg, whether it's Jordan Eberle, etc. Um, you know, what are the decisions, just so our listeners and, and viewers have a sense here of, you know, sort of who could the, you know, the potential names uh, be that are that are on the move if Ron Francis decides, you know what, it's not there for us this season? Who would be some of the names that we, we should be paying attention to? Yeah, you know, of course, we all, when we do this exercise, scroll down cap friendly and look at all the UFA boxes there. And, you know, you mentioned, <laughs> jo- you mentioned Jordan yeah. Eberle, you know, obviously he's he's had a long career, um, but he still has it. He still has the skill. He still has the poise. Mm-hmm. He still has the ability to make big plays he's a leader um we know that there's an appetite for that at the kind of trade deadline and of course you have alexander wenberg who you know in my opinion is just woefully underrated across the league because his traditional stat line doesn't necessarily reflect how much he contributes and this is first and foremost a center Um, many of his teammates i was actually talking to some coaches during the last crack and road trip and they too all agree that he's one of the smartest players in the league he plays power play penalty kill he plays against top opposition night in and night out so in my opinion that that's a really prime target as well should the kraken decide to sell you have thomas tatar who yeah. comes over mid-season um you know and he has been a huge offensive burst to this team and continues to show he can be a weapon in shootouts and in pressure situations so i think that he could be an asset to a team looking to add an offensive boost and on the back end, there's mm-hmm. Justin Schultz, who you know has been just a steady, reliable defender in his two years here. is a as a penalty as a excuse me a power play quarterback. And I think again, you can never mm-hmm. have too many defensemen when you come into a playoff push. And I think he'd be a really yeah, nice to any team there as well. You know, one of the things that that's a, a really good scene set too, and a, and a, and a snapshot. And I, I agree with you on Wenberg as well. You know, Larry Brooks has mentioned uh, some interest in the New York Rangers, uh, and that makes sense. You know, no Philip Heedle for the the remainder of the season, so there there could be a there could be some business there. You know, one of the things that I wonder about with Seattle, and like this is impressive because they've only had a couple of kicks at it, but when you look at what this team has been able to put together by way of prospects and players that are on the horizon and players that are you know, outside of the NHL right now, but really knocking on the door. And it's not just Shane Wright, although he's up around the top of the prospect list. Like, there's a number uh, of really good young players that Seattle already has accrued. Um, because there are so many players that you might consider close to walking in, is there a temptation? Okay, work with me on this one, Allison. Is there a temptation if you're Ron Francis, if come March 8th, even if you're not in a playoff position, but you're within... I don't know, four points, maybe a striking distance. Do you just say, you know what? We might not make any moves at all. If the players walk, they walk. We have more players that can step into their roles because our amateur scouts have done a lot of really good work here and filled our pipeline with players that can step in. If not next year, then the following season, certainly. Do you think the potential for that happening exists? You know, I do. And I think that it could partially be the push of the coming youth. But I think also, you know, what I have observed of Ron Francis is that he's obviously we know a very patient and very thoughtful GM. And I think that he knows the value 
of the players that could be potential trade targets, and he's certainly not going to undersell them. You know, they had a really good deadline their first year when, unfortunately, the team wasn't performing, but they got a lot of return, and they needed that because they needed so many picks to start to fill this prospect pipeline. They still need that, of course. Mm -hmm. This is still just a three-year-old team, but I don't think that they're necessarily pressured to have to take a trade just to get some picks. I think that if this team is in the hunt and if these players aren't getting the kind of price tag that Ron Francis believes they deserve and he knows he has youth pushing the window, the true competitive window for a Stanley Cup is still coming for this organization. And that's perfectly fine. I think that he could certainly sit mm -hmm. pat and that wouldn't be a bad situation for this group. Has Joey Decord been their MVP? <laughs> it's a great question. I think he has been one of the MVPs. You know, the identity of this team is on any given night, you don't know who the player is going to be that steps in and, and is the rising tide that lifts all ships. But Joey Decord really has been a revelation. And it's it's comparable to, to what Martin Jones did last year as Philip Grubauer suffers an injury and the, the quote-unquote yeah. other backup goaltender comes in and says, I can do this. And I think... It's not just mm -hmm. how effective he's been. If people are, I know it's a West Coast team, so not everyone gets to see them play. You can look at the stat line, and it's certainly impressive for Joey. But one of the things I think that has been a true add to this team is his ability and confidence to move the puck. He's truly a third defender back there. And when you have a third defender back there, your defensemen don't have to go into as many battles to retrieve loose pucks. They don't have to skate as much to retrieve loose pucks because your goaltender is feeding those up the ice already. And that affects your fatigue long term mm. over an 82-game season. It affects the speed of how you play. Sure. And so I think that that's been the real, real value of what Joey Decord has brought in addition to stopping a whole ton of pucks. Sure. Yeah. It's uh listen, I mean I I think everybody had a peek at the Winter Classic and uh, and saw how he performed as well throwing the throwing the bagel at the Vegas Golden Knights. Um let me ask you about Mappineers and the uh as they say the counting stats, the boxcar numbers, however you want to describe it. Certainly haven't been there. Um you know, not that I'm going to say is he a, a left-hand shot version of a young Patrice Bergeron, but are we starting to see the emergence of one of the next great young two-way centers in the game cut from that same cloth, i.e., you know what, we don't need you to put up 100 points, but we need you to play the kind of the way that Bergeron plays. Is that accurate? Is that accurate way to describe Mappineers? Well, that was his, his role model, his idol, when he was growing up. So yeah. it would be fair to say he would appreciate the compliment. I think... It might be too early to tell, right? You know, I know our good friends Don Lushishan and Shana Goldman wrote that piece on The Athletic exploring this idea. And I think it's something to watch. Mm -hmm. But I, I think, too, what, what I'm starting to notice, especially in these last five to six games since the All-Star break, is that what's coming back to his play isn't necessarily even so much defensive play proper, but it's detailed play to maintain possession to set up his teammates. So I think he's really mm. focusing on the details. And when that is sharp, then his offensive side in terms of the counting stats really unleashes. So he'd probably love that comparison. I think it would be great. I'm going <laughs> to give him a couple more years to see where he yeah. falls on that spectrum of balance. And I, I, that is in no discredit to the player. I think he's a tremendous player, but we'll see where he falls in terms of that balance sure. in all areas of the ice. Uh, it's Seattle, uh, so I have to ask about Shane Wright. Where's your organization? I know he's just had a, a big injury, but um, where's your organization at with Shane Wright now? And where's Shane Wright 
right now? Well, Shane Wright physically is in Coachella Valley, and I, I believe he's been skating with the yeah. team again, which is a great sign. Um, and, you know, I think yeah. it's great that he is in Coachella Valley. Every player I talk to says the setup down there is phenomenal. The staff down there is phenomenal. And, you know, Shane did mm -hmm. get called up for a couple games earlier in the season, and you can just feel the difference in his energy and in his, his presence. I think he's really getting comfortable with his game. I think he's been really solid taking on bigger responsibility in Coachella. And I mm -hmm. think, again, you know, we talk about how much of a luxury it is that this organization does not have to force prospects right now. So I think letting him sit sure. down there, be coached by, you know, Jess Campbell, Dan Bielzema, he's getting tremendous leadership there. He's taking opportunity. He's seizing it and they're winning. Right. So that's just, again, another cultural element you want bred into these players. So does he maybe come up late in this season if the Kraken end up being sellers? Maybe, but I don't yeah. necessarily count on it because it could be optimal to let him have just a tremendous second year down there and then look and see if he's making sure. a push next year to be on the big club. For sure. Uh, okay, before I let you go, um, when I first got to know you, you were, you were covering the Columbus Blue Jackets for The Athletic. Um, do you still have a peek at or pay attention to uh, the day-to-day -day comings and goings of the Columbus Blue Jackets? A little bit here and there. I don't know the players as well anymore, but of course I follow. Okay, so did the uh, the news of two weeks ago, which really feels like two months ago at this point, considering every day is a uh, another drama-filled day in the NHL, did the news of Yarmo Kekalainen's dismissal surprise you at all? Or is there anything that you could help us you know, sort of color in with, with Yarmo Kekalainen's tenure as the, the manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets? Yeah, you know, I it, unfortunately, it didn't surprise me. I think that, you know, there's been a series of decisions and, regardless of where the push for any decision comes from, the GM has to wear those decisions that have, have put this club at present in, in a tenuous spot. And, you know, he was there for so mm -hmm. long. Um, as we say about coaches, as we say about leaders at all levels, sometimes the voice just needs to change. But my first thought actually was, I think back to when Yarmo came in and he replaced Scott Housen, right? And at the time, everyone yep. was all up in arms about Scott Housen and when you look at what the Jackets became in their first big push, a lot of that was a team built by Scott Housen. So I think that in a few years, when you look at the young group of players, the exceptional talent that Columbus has in its stable right now, that people are going to be able to look back and say, Yarmo Kekalainen was a huge part of building what is now the core of a winning team and a contender for playoffs, a contender for the cup because of what he was able to find with his scouting team and bring into the organization. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, thorough analysis as always, whether it's the Kraken, whether it's the Blue Jackets, uh, whether it's the PWHL and speculation on a Seattle team, you're the best. Thanks as always for stopping by, Allison. Thank you, Jeff. You're the best too. Appreciate you. Be well. Uh, the great Allison Lucan, who uh, joins us here, talking about um, the future of the Seattle Kraken, which is comp complicated right now because, you know, it's almost like this. We always talk about um, teams doing the sort of bunny hop. And for Seattle, it's kind of been that way more than uh, more than anything else. Um, a tough one against the Minnesota Wild recently, a big win against Vancouver, a big win earlier on this week against the Boston Bruins. And so now what does Seattle do? You know, we thought that this little four-game segment was going to determine what Ron Francis did, and this team was either going to go three and one or two and two.
and Nashville's red hot. No one's touching them right now. Calgary's won four in a row, and they can't make up any ground. Interesting, interesting times with the Seattle Kraken. Interesting times in the Western Conference. You know, trying to grab a uh, uh, trying to grab a, uh, a wild card spot. Although maybe you shouldn't be eyeballing the Nashville Predators. Maybe right now you should be eyeballing the Los Angeles Kings. And man, does this Adrian Kempe situation complicate LA? Like if you're Rob Blake, you're already thinking about okay, so we're gonna need some things here. He's going to need some things here. We're going to probably need a goaltender. We're going to need some help up front as well. And now maybe we need to look at replacing Adrian Kempe. All of a sudden, there's not enough pain relief medication on the shelves in Los Angeles for Rob Blake's liking. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Today we're talking about the St. Louis Blues and the Edmonton Oilers. There's only two games on the board tonight. This is an intriguing one for a lot of reasons. Start here. Oilers minus one and a half. St. Louis, one and four straight up in their last five. St. Louis, eight and four straight up in their last 12 games against the Edmonton Oilers. St. Louis, 11 and five straight up in their last 16 games when playing on the road against Edmonton. The total has gone over in six of Edmonton's last eight games. The total has gone over in 14 of Edmonton's last 20 games played in February. So this one is fascinating. So St. Louis is coming off a big game last night where we saw a captain versus captain fight, right? Shen versus Lowry. Um, And it was a big 4-2 loss at the hands of the Winnipeg Jets. So going into last night, I was having a conversation with someone in St. Louis who was trying to make the point that if St. Louis loses both these two games, you wonder if that's the moment where Doug Armstrong says, it's over. And we officially become sellers. We've seen Doug Armstrong do this before, right? Even if the team's close, even the team's like right there for a playoff position, if he doesn't feel he has the right team or the right mix to do much, if anything, he'll make moves. So I know it might sound like I'm really exaggerating one game. I know this may sound like hyperbole, but there are people who wonder if tonight's game for the St. Louis Blues is their season. It is so hard right now to make up ground in the Western Conference and not just to make up ground against teams that are in a wildcard spot, but to jump over teams as well. Again, what's the old Doug McClain saying? I'm not saying it's the truth. I'm just saying what I heard. And part of the conversation on the St. Louis Blues is tonight might be the season. Six points out of the wildcard spot, two games in hand. Lose tonight. Oh, it takes the games in hand to one. And they're going to get a lot of eyeballs because only one other game on the board tonight. And that is Columbus and the Rangers. Blues and the Oilers. That is Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bell Local. MVSW time next with Greg Wyshynski across the Sportsnet Radio Network saying goodbye to our viewers and listeners in Calgary. Back with hour two of this program. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Are the Florida Panthers the best team in the NHL? One of the questions we've been considering of uh, of recently, of recent note, and if so, who's been their best player? 
We know who the biggest headline grabber is, and perhaps for not the right reasons at all. Um, the best player, Matthew Kachuk. Are they the best team in the NHL? Probably. Certainly the best team in the Eastern Conference, with all due respect, New York Rangers. Where do they rank amongst the other 31 teams around the NHL? George Richards from Florida Hockey Now is aboard to answer that and other questions. George, how are you today? I'm terrific. Jeff, what's going on, my man? Uh, you know what? Watching Panthers last night, real close game against the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the Sam Reinhardt Bowl, I suppose, as we like to call this one. And uh, <laughs> we'll get this conversation out of the way right away. Jordan Greenaway, Nick Cousins. I don't know if he connected with the punch, but Cousins went down as if he did and then popped right back up Undertaker style. How did you see it? Yeah. Uh, well, just the same as you did. I mean, you know, I wasn't, you know, at ice level, so I just saw it on the replay. Um, yeah, it looked like he got popped in the mug and, uh, you know, then uh, he jumped on his back and everything. And I and know, uh, excuse me, I, I know the Buffalo was pretty upset that, that you know, that Greenway got the four minutes and, uh, and Cousins yeah. only got the two. But at the end of the day, you pop a guy in the mouth, you know, in the face, you're probably getting at least five, right? <laughs> so, you know, it is what it is. What did you, um, uh, I mean, I, I know how the rest. Yeah. What's that? Go, Go ahead, ahead, George. No, I was just saying the Panthers are very happy, though, that Nick Cousins is fine. And, you know, it, you know, was able to jump right back. Yeah. I mean, he seems the guy this year specifically who can drive the other team to distraction, to frustration, to anger. Uh, we saw this in the Washington game with the Anthony Mantha fight. Uh, we see it with Greenway last night against the Buffalo Sabres. Like, listen, we we all are very much acquainted with you know how Nick Cousins um, has played and, and what he has done. But what is it about him that is, you know, like just that just annoys players to no end like i remember um oh who was it maxime laperriere um uh craig simpson there was a tight close-up of him once and you know simmer is supposed to say something and all he can come up with is you know how do you not want to punch that face what do you like, right. what is it about nick cousin what is it about nick cousins that just gets under everybody's skin he's always <sighs> He's that smart Alec, right? He's always like skating around, chirping guys, and it's not like he's on the fourth line and he's getting five minutes. Florida's got him on the second line playing with Sam Bennett and you know, and, and, and Matthew Kachuk. Yeah. So he's getting minutes and you know, he had an assist last night. He had a goal the other night that got Florida going. Um, so he's ticking people off. He's he's getting productive minutes for the Panthers. But yeah, he's just one of those guys that I, you know, if you're you know at recess and he's running around, you just are like, gosh, I'd like to punch that guy. I can see it. I can absolutely see it. And guess what? If you're friends with that guy, like the Panthers are, you love him to death. The Panthers. You know, yeah. we're going to defend Nick, Nick Cousins to the death, and they did last night. It started up a brouhaha that, apparently, you know, only two guys got penalized for. You know, I, I mentioned Max Lapierre there a couple of seconds ago, and I can recall watching him in junior. He played for the uh, for the Montreal Rocket. Uh, they moved to, to PEI and became the PEI Rocket. And I remember whenever they would play Ramouski, Max Lapierre would drive Sidney Crosby crazy <laughs> followed him all over the ice uh, Crosby's muscle would have to hunt him down like I, I see the same thing 
with Nick Cousins. Like the Florida Panthers are, are an interesting team. They're the they're the blend of, of toughness and skill and are well coached and great defense and goaltending, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like what are the other like how do the other players feel about this? Because like, you know, Max Lapierre is, might be the, the, the most obvious example. He can drive a team totally to distraction and then the skill players just take over and next thing you know, the Florida Panthers are escaping with two more points. Yeah. Um, well, listen, um, it probably comes as no surprise that Matthew Kachuk is like his best buddy. Um, you know, those, you know, Nick Cousins. <laughs> and... Okay, we're going to try to get George back here. I have a little slight connection there uh, issue with uh, with George. Um, but the Panthers really are that team. And no, no surprise, as George mentions, that he's good buddies with uh, with Matthew Kachuk, who's probably, when you look around the NHL, you know, that perfect, perfect blend of high-level skill. And, you know, as the calendar has flipped, you know, from January to now, you know, last time I checked, he was number one in points. I'm not sure if he still is. That was about a week and a half ago. Um, but Matthew Kachuk has always been the poster child of he'll play it tough, he'll play it sneaky, at times he can play it dirty, he can play it skilled, he can stand up for himself, he's in the middle of everything, and all the while he does it, he's chewing his mouth guard, and he's laughing at you, and he's driving you crazy. Sorry, George, you cut out just as you were talking a little bit about Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, yeah, well, I heard what you were saying. Yeah, Matthew Kachuk's the same kind of way, right? He skates around, and... And, 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 you know, talks, but, but both of them, you know, Matthew's going to throw and, and everything. And um, Nick just kind of, you know, runs around a little bit. And, and you know, last night he jumped in. Uh, but, you know, maybe that's what upsets people. I don't know. I mean, but, again, he's a fantastic teammate. Um, I, I talked to, uh, you know, when the whole rat thing came about, you know, I talked to Paul Marie. I pulled Paul Maurice to the side and I asked him about it. And Paul was like, listen, the guy doesn't take any penalties. So what am I seeing and what are the refs seeing that everybody else, you know, seems to think they're seeing? Um, he has yeah. like 20 penalty minutes or something. And, you know, Paul Maurice is like, I love the guy. I'm fine with the way he plays. He does play on an edge. That That's the whole thing. He plays on an edge. Um, and, you know, sometimes it gets crossed a little bit. But, listen, like you said, mm-hmm. the Panthers are a weird mix of they'll drop the gloves at any any moment, and then two minutes later, they'll, you know, they'll put another goal up on you. So um, they're just having yeah. fun out there. They really are. Um, an intriguing team. So here becomes the question. Um, by way of points, the Vancouver Canucks are the top team in the NHL with 83 uh, in, tar- in terms of point percentage, however, it's the Florida Panthers. And the Panthers have two games in hand over the Vancouver Canucks. Are they the best team in the NHL? And how internally do the Florida Panthers look at themselves? Do they see themselves, carry themselves as the best team in the NHL right now? Um, there is definitely a, you know, a little bit of swagger to these guys, but they have they've they've had that now for a while, right? Um, they, they, I, if I asked every player on that team, do you think you're the best team in the NHL? If I asked them that at either Thanksgiving, they probably would have told me yes, even though the standings wouldn't say so. If I asked them now, they'd probably say no because yeah. the standings kind of reflect it. Um, you know, <laughs> you know how hockey players are, but yes, they, there is a there is a. There is a confidence in this room. They know they're rolling four strong lines. By the trade deadline, they might have five pretty darn good lines. Um, defensively, they're 
they're they're just a machine right now. You know, that was supposed to be their weakness coming in, and it's been one of their strengths. They've given up two goals or fewer in 14 straight games. They've won 12 of those games. Um, so they're scoring. They're holding their opponents down. They've got terrific goaltending, whether it's Sergei Bobrovsky or if it's Anthony Stolarz. Um, up and down, you know, the, the, you know, the 23 players that they've got on this team, that, you know, they, they'd play anyone. They're, they're ready to go. Well, are they the best team, best team in the NHL right, right this second? I would think so, yeah. A month or two ago, you was in Vancouver, but right this minute, yeah. Will that change? Yeah. Could. Don't know, but they're playing fantastic hockey right now. So where, where then is Bill Zito on the trade deadline and what he needs? Like, I don't think it would surprise anybody to find out that they were interested in Noah Hannafin from the Calgary sure. Flames. That would shock exactly nobody here. The only question is, uh, the Calgary Flames kind of won a lot for Noah yeah. Hannafin. And, you know, there's a lot of teams that are out there that want Noah Hannafin. Um if the Florida Panthers are successful, what do they have to give up to get Noah Hannafin? Listen, they're not. I don't think they're getting Noah Hannafin. I mean, like you said, first off, Calgary's not going to do Florida any favors, right? So they're not going to send the guy at hmm. some kind of South Florida discount. You know, why would they? But um, <laughs> Florida doesn't have the draft capital. Um, Florida really yep. doesn't have the the prospect capital. Um, if they're going to get Noah Hannafin, it's going to be in the summer. I don't think they're getting him now. Um, and, 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 you know, but listen, Bill Zito always is looking to upgrade here, there, you know, one of his forwards over there, we can move, you know what I mean? Uh, same with defensively. Yeah. While they're very happy with the seven defensemen they've got now, you can't say that Noah Hannafin wouldn't help them out. Of course he would. So, mm-hmm. but at what cost and, and will he stay? You know, if if he's coming here to stay, that's a different that's a different animal. But still, I don't know that yeah. you can get yeah. him from Calgary. You just can't. The price tag's going to be too high and deservedly so. And they're going to get it. They know they're going to get it from somebody. Florida just can't mm-hmm. play ball right now in that in that environment. Fascinating. Uh, listen, um, we're up against the clock. I uh, wish we had more time to talk about the best team in the NHL right now, today, Wednesday, February 28th, 2024. No doubt. Apologies, Vancouver. Uh, thanks, George. Always appreciate it, pal. All right, bud. Be good. You know what? There's a, there's a couple of other great stories with the Florida Panthers as well, and I'm not sure where you're at on this one, but I love a good waiver wire story. And one of the best waiver wire stories around the NHL is Gustav Forsling. Uh, That's how the Florida Panthers got him. He is an unrestricted free agent come July 1st. And when you consider how important he has been to that back end and continues to be for that back end and how good he was, uh, specifically when Brandon Montour and Aaron Ekblad were injured to start the season, uh, you wonder if there's a big payday waiting at the end of the season for Gustav Forsling as they look to keep him in the mix. But I think the Noah Hannafin question is a legitimate one with the Florida Panthers as well. But complicating all of it is Calgary keeps winning. And I understand, like, I think it was Gary Galley who was making this point on Kipper and Bourne not too long ago, which is, you know, how do you give up on your team? How do you move players at this point when you're winning and threatening for a playoff spot? 
in the Western Conference. I get that thinking. I also get the thinking, which is eyes on the bigger picture here. And these are expiring contracts, and this player specifically is not coming back, nor do we suspect Chris Tanev would be either. So despite the fact that we all know what the score is in Calgary, they keep on winning and complicating things for Craig Conroy. Uh, thanks to all my guests today. George Richards, whom you just heard from. Greg Wyshynski. Man, we talked a lot about Matt Rempe. Can you blame us? Columbus facing off against the Rangers tonight. Uh, Allison Lucan uh, covers the Seattle Kraken. Thanks to her for stopping by. And Thomas Hickey kicked us off. A little trade deadline primer. And from our own crew here, our producer David Sis, our board op Lance Kennedy, and our television director Jen Rolnick. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey tonight. The St. Louis Blues and the Edmonton Oilers. And again, we wonder... If they lose, is that the season for the Blues? Tune in tonight to find out. This show returns tomorrow, noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on 360, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll talk to you tomorrow.